Welcome back to EAF 461. So excited for you all to be here with me uh, during a week that I am particularly interested and passionate about. This week, we're going to be talking about learning and leadership styles. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Kolb's theory of experiential learning, a little bit about the social change model, and then we're going to wrap up talking about Bruce Tuckman's work uh, on group dynamics. So without further ado, let's jump into our weekly dispatch. Hi, my name is Mandy Beeler. I am the director of the Jones Center for Leadership and Service at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I have been working in the field of student life since 2008, so about 13 years. And I have worked primarily in leadership development, community service, volunteerism, service learning. It has a lot of different names. Um, and I'm really excited to talk to you about how I use theory in my work. Um, I have a doctorate in learning and leadership and so that is primarily uh, where I found the best ways that I connected theory in my work. Um, of course, learned it in a master's program, put it into practice both in my graduate assistant, my first jobs, but it was really um, through my doctoral studies that I did a deeper dive into how I use theory in my everyday work. And so I'll start with the social change model. Um, as a leadership educator, we really primarily focus on the concept of leadership as a process and not a position. And this can be really challenging for students who've grown up thinking that leadership is all about a position. Um, we've had a lot of students that grow up hearing, oh, uh, they're a natural born leader. The challenge, of course, with that is that there's a lot of students who don't ever hear that. They don't ever hear that they can also be leaders. And so with the social change model, I really love in the methods that it gives concrete steps and opportunities for students to think about what does leadership look like and how it isn't something that happens in a silo or a vacuum. It's really something that takes practice, that we can get better, um, that it really involves that influence, um, that connection with others, and that working towards a common goal. And so one of the big concepts with social change theory, not specifically the model, is about finding those root causes of issues and how to move things forward. And so when you put that together with a social change model, you really get to look at those concrete steps and methods um, and things for students to practice and to work on um, as they move forward. Because leadership as we know it is very collaborative. And so we see especially a lot of incoming students who they come in and they want to rattle off all of these positions that they held uh, in school and they have a really hard time thinking about how those positions were only successful because of all of the people around them. So when we talk about leadership theory and all of our because we do courses as well as conferences and workshops and in in our courses, of course, we can dive a little bit more into theory, but we always start our workshops out with the the conversation that leadership is collaborative that it is not positional. Um, and that is really inclusive and accessible to all people. And those are key things about our mission and our vision and how we do our work. And so when we dive in and we talk about awareness, um, community involvement, and how they learn about that leadership as a collaborative process, that's where it really gets to tie in to not just the leadership theories that they're learning or the cohorts that they're a part of, whether it's our emerging leaders quote class, which at our institution is for sophomores, or we have what we call Leadership Knoxville Scholars, which is a community engagement based cohort model for juniors and seniors. Um, 
that we really talk about it in that you get the opportunity to practice leadership in all aspects of your life. There are components that you have to kind of be a little bit of a good leader in your own life before you can be a good leader in others. But in general, you can't just be a leader by yourself. Um, it's just not possible to do. So you have to have that collaborative values driven piece. And there has to be the piece that your personal values also align with those that you're working with, that you're working towards that common goal and that shared vision, and that you can have conversations, that you can have discourse with others that agree and disagree with you, that you can move things forward to create that positive change. And that's also a key aspect of how we, we use the social change model in our work. Um, but when you break it down, it's easier for students to understand as they're learning it, but it's also easier for you as a practitioner to think about skills that they can master as they're working toward their own personal leadership vision, their goals, their development process, because it is that process and it's a never ending one. And so really constantly working towards that and having that model. Um, I also love that the the eight C's really um, are not necessarily steps. Um, you don't have to have mastered one before the other. And that's a really great thing, even though it's not really a developmental model, it really speaks to the way that the process of leadership and learning about leadership is a developmental process um, based on those experiences. So that also ties nicely into the second theory that I use most often in my work and I wrote about a lot in my dissertation, um, which was on required volunteerism and, and whether or not uh, it impacts students' capacity for civic responsibility and engagement. Um, but we talked about the Kolb experiential learning cycle and we use this a lot in our service-based programs, especially like our, what we call Vol Breaks Alternative Break Program with our Vol Service Day of Service. Um, with any of our service programs, if they're planned service opportunities, we have a reflection piece. And with our more intentional things like our Vol Alternative Breaks process, it's, it's easier to talk to students as they, they prepare for their trips. So how our process works is that we have community meetings before we go on these trips. And so we talk about um, the trips are chosen based on social themes so they don't know exactly where they're going. Um, we also have a lottery system so that students can sign up for the themes that they're most uh, tied to because we think that's an important part of this learning process as well. Um, it has to be something that matters to you for you to, to think about even going through this process and this cycle. But of course, there are definitely times that people have experiences that they need to reflect on that they didn't choose or didn't intentionally go. So uh, we talk to students about what, why is that social issue important, um, what it is that you want to do, and how are you going to go on these trips and, and do these activities and do things in a meaningful way, and what do you want to learn about these experiences. And so, of course, then they go do these breaks, they have reflection every day. And then when we get back, we have uh, like a re-entry meeting where we have community partners from our local area that will come and talk with our students about, okay, now you learned about the social issue, you went somewhere else and learned about how it works there. Um, now that you're back here in Knoxville, how are you going to continue your learning process? And it really challenges students to think about continuing that development and not just saying, uh, oh, I went and I did the service experience and it was great and I had a great trip, met a lot of people. Because that's what you hear a lot of times when you don't do really intentional reflections with students about especially trips like alternative breaks. They go and they do and they leave and then they don't 
it might have been impactful, but only if there's that reflection piece. And so that's when it challenges you. It's that what, so what, now what concept where you have to really dive deep into, you're not just learning things for the sake of learning. You're not just doing things for the sake of doing. And when we build our programs, we also work really intentionally with our partners to identify the programs that are gonna be most meaningful and beneficial to their communities. And that's a part of that developmental piece is to realize that you cannot be that savior that goes in and says, I have this great skill and talent and I'm gonna go do this thing for you because I think it's important for you to do. When you start really learning and developing that idea that you don't have all the answers and that you need to learn with other people and collaborate, going back to the social change model, uh, you really have that opportunity to say, like, how can I use my skills and my time and my talent in a way that is truly meaningful and beneficial to this community and letting the community members and leaders lead that process. Because also, when one thing we learn in service is that if the community is not engaged and supportive of the project that you're doing, it doesn't matter the work. Um, there has to be that ongoing. So from both a community development perspective and uh, a student development perspective, this is a really important thing because it really changes you and challenges you. So in my dissertation, I researched like, does it matter how much service a student does? Does it matter if it's uh, volunteers on their own or if it's service learning, which in theory is more intentional. Um, and so to really dive deep and to look into how do people change and grow? How do they continue that active uh, process of reflecting on their experiences, learning how they wanna do things a little bit better um, and then making that change happen. And then how does it change them as an individual? How do we become more able to have conversations with civility? Well, we do that by meeting people who are different than us, that think differently than us, that look differently than us, that have very different lived experiences and having those conversations and learning about them and reflecting on our own experiences. So the great thing about these two models is that I think they can be applied to any work in any position. Of course, we do it with our leadership and service, but it can be done in any kind of uh, student life world. Um, it can be done in any class, it can be done in any program. And so it's very easy to think through these as steps and as things that will, steps in the cold model um, and then just broader components in the social change model. But to think about how are we engaging our students in these truly meaningful ways to get them to grow both individually as leaders and as community citizens? Because our work is really not that we're just graduating students who are educated. Our goal, the goal of one of the primary goals of higher education is to create and grow and develop and graduate active citizens who are gonna go into their communities and make meaningful change and make a difference in what they're doing, um, regardless of what it is that they're doing with their work uh, beyond our time with them. So these are things that can really help students create their own process too. Are they having experiences and are they reflecting on, well, does that match my previous experience? Does it change how I'm thinking? Um, so these are things that they can take with them well beyond their time with you all. Um, so while we don't use all the theories, and I'm sure if I, I dig deep, I can think about them. These two are definitely ones that I use in my everyday life. Uh, in my work. And I will also say uh, I took a time out of higher ed and worked in the nonprofit world and uh, was an executive director. And I used these theories even with the volunteers that I managed and the programs that I oversaw. So these I think are great because they're not just just for higher ed. They really are for that broader community development, which is the goal of everything. 
So thank you so much for letting me chat with you today. Uh, I'm really glad that Gavin gave me the chance to come and visit uh, with you all. I probably haven't gotten to, to talk to them since, since grad school. So uh, yeah, so have a great day. Welcome back uh, from hearing from our dispatch. I'm excited to begin having a conversation about uh, these three different theories. Um, so without further ado, uh, let's get started, shall we? Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about Kolb's theory of experiential learning. Uh, this is uh, not covered in uh, the current text of the Student Development Theory in College book, the third edition, uh, but was covered in earlier editions, and I found it to be uh, very instrumental in the work that I did as a student affairs educator uh, in terms of developing programming and experiences uh, very similar uh, in some regards to uh, Mandy and what she was talking about in the ways that she uses uh, Kolb's model. And so uh, this model um, is uh, uses and builds upon um, to Dewey and Lewin and Piaget a bit, um, but uh, really uh, thinks about um, kind of experience as education. And so uh, I was very involved in sort of experiential education early on in my career. And so I threw up some of the, um, the three people that um, are foundational towards uh, sort of experiential ed or exped. Um, so John Dewey, Lewin, and Jean Piaget. Uh, I know that we've talked a little bit about Piaget already. We haven't really engaged so much with Dewey or Lewin. Um, but uh, these three quotes uh, really talk about um, the ways that I try to draw on and think about experience as an element of education. And so John Dewey is saying education is not, uh, is not an affair of telling, but being told and being told, but is an active and constructive process, right? So that notion of going out and doing something and making meaning of it. I think that is uh, very foundational uh, towards the work that we do within student affairs um, and higher education administration and education. Um, yeah, and so um, I also think that um, um, Kolb's model is central to the development of curriculum. Um, and so for those of you who have never thought about uh, developing curriculum, that's fine. Uh, at some point during your career, either as a GA or a professional, you're going to develop some element of curriculum. And it might not be uh, what you might think of as highfalutin curriculum, uh, very regimented, but much like as we discussed uh, in class already, sort of that informal theory, there's informal curriculum as well. The curriculum that isn't necessarily uh, classroom oriented, but the curriculum that you might develop uh, for an event. And so I believe Mandy was talking a bit about um, um, alternative service trips, right? And so I think that's a really great opportunity to use uh, this model to think about what is the concrete experience in the upper quadrant of uh, Kolb's uh, model, right? There's a concrete experience going out and uh, doing some service in the local community. Maybe it's uh, packing small little bags at a food pantry uh, for folks to taking uh, back to uh, their houses, right? Um, what's important with uh, programs like that is that there is that re reflection afterwards, right? Many of you who've done some sort of service learning and uh, reflection is always uh, a very important um, element to that. Uh, 
but there, the abstract conceptualization within Kolb's model is something that is not necessarily always engaged with, right? Um, and so we don't always think about sort of the systemic issues uh, of food insecurity uh, based upon our observations. So sometimes there involves the element of some further education so that way we have a critical eye of understanding sort of food insecurity and the structural issues uh, that make that up. Um, that involves a higher level of reflection, uh, but a, a very important part in order to move back in uh, to the experimentation stage. What are ways that we can challenge those structures um, so that way we can improve um, the lives of people instead of just continuing to give out food? Um, can we change and alter the structures that are uh, causing uh, food insecurity? And then once you've done that, then we can have a new experience. All right, well, we think that we might be able to fix food insecurity by doing X, Y, and Z. All right, we're going to try X, Y, and Z, or maybe just X and Y, or X and Z, or Z and Y, or whatever you want, right? Um, and then from that um, suggestion, that's when you go back into that experience, right? Um, learning what worked, what didn't work, that's when you're moving back into the observation. Well, we realized that this didn't work because we didn't do A, B, and C along with our X, Y, and Z. So let's try to add A, B, and C in and see if that works. And so as you can see, it's kind of a cyclical model uh, to try to um, make meaning of an experience and hopefully uh, take something with your learning. That's a, a really kind of macro level example, but there are some examples that are more micro or individualistic as well. Uh, Kolb is also able to be used as a learning style. And so um, this model allows us to understand where are the um, moments of uh, experiential, the experiential learning cycle that most resonate with your own learning style. Uh, or with your own preferences, right? And so maybe you're really into the abstract conceptualization. And so you're kind of on that bottom of that quadrant uh, that's on the screen on, um, you know, whatever page we're on. Um, and so uh, you're able to understand, well, if you're really strong at abstract conceptualization, and largely it's going to be sort of um, a, a compass point um, and one next to it. Very rarely are you going to really like, for instance, concrete experiences and abstract conceptualization or active experimentation and reflection observation. Generally, according to Kolb, you're going to be sort of in one of those quadrants. And so you'll find yourself either a diverger, a simulator, a converger, or a combinator. Um, Frankly, uh, this is not what I find to be the most valuable for Kolb's model. I greatly prefer using it uh, as a means to create curriculum or experiences for learning um, because it is my belief that in order for uh, learning to occur, you need to kind of hit all of them. Yes, there are going to be some students and some um, uh, individuals that are going to uh, more connect with sort of the diverger or the converger pathway. Uh, but for me, in order to really create a well-rounded experiential education um, component, you really need to hit all four. Um, and so I think um, that's why I go with that. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a pretty basic model. It does have these four stages. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that they are uh, really, uh, in my experience, but maybe I can add in a little sound effect there, um, really um, easy to understand. Um, and I think as we've talked about the ways that we evaluate theory, particularly in weeks one and two, um, simple and parsimonious as element, right? And so as, as though we made fun of the word parsimonious for 
being antithetical to what it means, right? I think these stages are a really um, good way of understanding individuals' experiences and teaching. Uh, something that I, uh, I don't think is necessarily an element of um, Kolb, but when we think about the reflective observation, uh, something that is really hard uh, for budding um, experiential educators, for educators, is to come up with uh, questions uh, that are um, a good, good guiding questions to uh, help with that reflection. And so this model, uh, the what, so what, and now what model um, is something that I have used to formulate um, and come up with questions on the fly. And so part of my background and where I first came to Kolb is as a challenge course facilitator. So job I had as a college student and, and have continued on throughout my uh, life kind of using some of these tools within my educational career uh, is that um, when you're doing and leading reflections, you should start with some what questions. What happened? What patterns are you noticing? What did you do? What did you accomplish? What do these mean? So what, what does this mean? So how are you going to make meaning? How are you going to take what you've done and learn to the next uh, stage? And so you can kind of see there's this uh, circular pattern uh, to help you formulate questions. Um, part of my um, experience as a student affairs educator was training undergrad students to go into the classroom um, and host conversations around social justice and diversity. And I found it much more meaningful to teach students how to formulate questions than to give them a script of questions. And so instead of giving them a list of questions to ask about the experience that they were leading, I gave them this tool to help them um, improvise questions based upon what the students were saying. Um, and so I would encourage you to um, use this model or a similar model to be able to understand and help uh, your students make meanings of their experiences. Um, and so here you can kind of see when we uh, throw in uh, the what, so what, now what on top of the cold model of learning, the what questions really help us understand our observations, the so what help us with our abstract conceptualization, and the now what questions help us understand and make meaning of our experimentations. So that's Kolb in a nutshell. Uh, it's pretty, uh, um, pretty, as I said, simple and parsimonious. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great heuristic, a great tool to use in our work. So we're gonna move on to the social change model um, and, and, and both Mandy and we're gonna uh, have another sort of guest interview uh, with Dr. Laura Osteen a little bit later. Um, both of those kind of talk a little bit about the social change model, so I, I won't spend a ton of time here. Um, but the, this is an image of the social change model. Um, it is a model that is uh, somewhat newer uh, to higher education. It wasn't something that was uh, necessarily used a whole ton um, prior to my graduate school experience. And so um, as we think about some of these uh, developmental models that we're talking, and not that this, this is not a developmental model, this is a uh, model of sort of leadership and learning. Um, it's a little bit newer. Um, uh, Scandal writes on page 17 of this piece, engaging leadership with others should be a social, socially responsible and that leadership should be focused on social change. I had an interview for a position uh, years ago uh, for a coordinator of leadership programs and I, I went in um, and I was very upfront that I thought that all leadership programs should be engaged with uh, 
social justice. Um, because to not be engaged in social justice work within our leadership uh, is to the detriment of the learning of the students. Um, and this quote um, from Skendel really supports and, and um, allies with what I was saying in that interview, um, that I really think that we need to be uh, thinking critically about systems of power and privilege uh, in our leadership and, and who uh, are we seeing in leadership programs and who needs to be included, right? Um, and so the social change model of leadership development uh, approaches leadership uh, as a process, very similar as you'll talk a little bit about or hear a little bit about uh, me and Laura talking a bit later, is that it is not a positional experience, but is an opportunity for a process to understand the problems and uh, help to solve the problems of society. Um, the social change model is very famous for uh, having sort of these, what they call the seven C's, uh, the individual values being the consciousness of self, the congruence and the commitment, right? So how do these individual values fit within a larger structure? The group values, collaboration, having a common partners, purpose and having controversy with civility. Oftentimes, and we talked a little bit about this um, already about the notion of niceness in student affairs and not being able to engage in, in dialogue and controversy. Um, we, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about Laura later about the sort of the realities of the individuals aren't going to always be in alignment and we, we still have to come together um, in order to uh, solve the problem at hand. And then finally, the community societal values um, is that the place that the individual plays within uh, the larger um, community, right? Our citizenship. And, and I want to, sometimes people, when we think about citizenship, they're thinking, well, I'm a citizen of, you know, this country or this nation. And it's not necessarily about that. It's about when we talk about citizenship, we're talking about sort of the citizenship of being part of a community, whatever that looks like, right? And so you all are citizens of the CSPA community. You're citizens of the ISU community, right? Uh, and it doesn't necessarily involve paperwork. It involves being sort of a, a good steward of a community process. Um, and then finally, within the middle is sort of that change. Uh, having uh, conversations about all these seven Cs uh, involves sort of uh, creating um, and interacting and influencing one another and our interconnections with one another to create change. Um, and finally, we're gonna talk about Bruce Tuckman um, briefly. Bruce Tuckman is another model that I use a lot uh, or have used a lot in my educational career. And so Bruce Tuckman uh, was a professor of educational psych at Ohio State. Um, and this is another really simple, fun heuristic to understand uh, group dynamics. Um, and so like um, early on in my career, I felt like all of the theories that I engaged with always rhymed. Um, and so this is probably why I thought that, um, but it very simply, it's the forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. Um, and so, um, when we have a group, so let's, you know, let's take a class for instance, right? And so you all have a group assignment coming up at the beginning of October, um, and you have started to form your groups. Uh, the forming in this instance was signing up to talk about what group you wanted to be in, right? Um, inevitably, within any group, at some point, there is going to be some sort of controversy, some argument. Um, 
it might be as simple as the slide background that we're going to use should be pink. No, it should be purple. No, it should be a picture that is muted, right? Um, or it could be a very serious storm. Um, it could be um, that you all, you and somebody else just don't get along um, and it's never gonna happen and you're just not meant to work together, right? Hopefully, um, at some point you're able to overcome these either simple background uh, controversies or these more severe controversies um, to come to a space where there is a norming around what works in this group. And so um, as, you, as the majority of you are all first semester, first year graduate students, you're also thinking about sort of um, the group dynamics of your cohort, right? Um, so you were formed started to form at grad days. Um, you started to form over this past summer in um, the meetings that Phyllis and I had, right? Um, at some point, there's going to be some sort of storm within uh, your community. Um, this is, as Bruce Tuckman would teach, a natural part of your education, of your group dynamics um, happening. Hopefully at some point you overcome those storms, right? You're able to understand that the, that, um, you know, Mikey in the cohort uh, really uh, is good at this, right? And that Cecilia is really good at this. And Frankie is really good at this. And Olivia is really good at this. And Michelle doesn't like this. Um, and Janice likes this, right? And so understanding what the norming of the group is. And so parsing out and working together and what works for the group, right? After you come through the norming and starting to learn one another and learning uh, one another's skills and strengths, you start performing. Um, and this is uh, where we hopefully want to see uh, groups at the majority of the time. It takes time, effort, and intentionality to get to that point. Uh, but once you're there, you can buzz along, you can hum, you know uh, what folks are going to do, how folks are going to react. It takes time to get to this space where we know one another. Um, and then finally, at some point, your group is going to adjourn. And this is a fifth stage that was later on, added on by Tuckman in a revision of his work, uh, where he understood that there are different ways that a group can end. Uh, maybe it ends uh, when the project is over, or maybe it ends in a, a, a professional setting when a member of your team leaves and takes a new job. Uh, maybe it's a temporary group put in place to handle a global pandemic. And the pandemic is conquered through your genius of a performing team, right? And so the group can then adjourn. Something that is also uh, important to recognize is that say you have a group of six people, you have um, you know, Abby, Bernard, Cecilia, David, and Erica as a five person team, right? Um, well, if all of a sudden Frankie gets added to that team, you're gonna jump back down to stage one because while you as a five person team might have been performing and humming along, you need to go back through and relearn what your group is gonna be now that you've added Frankie. Uh, similarly, if you have uh, that team uh, that I mentioned before um, and Frankie's still on the team, let's say, but all of a sudden Bernard leaves, um, well, you're going to have to kind of re-envision and what does this team now look like without Bernard or Cecilia or David or Erica um, or Abby in that team, right? And so every time there is a change to a group dynamic, uh, we've got to uh, 
change uh, what it looks like. So here are some ways to consider and think about uh, the different things that team members will be doing um, during um, uh, the different stages within Tuckman. Um, and so, um, you know, within, um, within a, a forming um, a team, uh, individuals are going to largely direct comments to the leader as opposed to kind of the community, right? And so this very notion of an idea of a, a one person being in charge, right? Um, whereas um, within a performing team, generally we're gonna be able to understand that everyone has different roles and there might not necessarily be sort of like the situated leader, but everyone has um, the a, a different role. And so that's just sort of one experience or one way to really think about the different behaviors or uh, things that individuals will do uh, within uh, the different um, stages of Tuckman's model. And so uh, here's a, a notion of thinking about sort of the um, individuals within uh, teams and the ways that interdependence uh, and group cohesion uh, as individuals increase within their stages will um, have, they'll have larger interdependence rather than dependence on individuals. Um, and be the higher level at a stage of a group that they are, they're gonna be more engaged in problem solving uh, as opposed to orientating or being oriented to the task at hand. So um, that was the quick and simple understanding of uh, these uh, uh, leadership frameworks. Um, these are certainly not uh, student development theory. Uh, they did not involve sort of the individual students. Uh, they are more about structures, systems, and groups uh, than the other theories that we've talked about in uh, the week so far and largely the theories that we'll talk about moving forward. Um, but uh, wanted to make sure that we cover these. I think these are really, really important. And uh, without further ado, uh, I'm gonna bring in uh, Dr. Laura Osteen. Uh, to talk uh, about leadership uh, and learning and uh, situations uh, that arise as a professional. Good afternoon or morning or evening, however, and whatever time it is, wherever you are. I'm uh, so uh, fortunate and lucky to have with us today, uh, Dr. Laura Osteen. Uh, uh, Dr. Osteen currently serves as the Assistant Vice President for Campus Life at Tulane University. Prior to this, Laura was the director of the Center for Leadership and Social Change at Florida State University, where I first engaged and interacted with her uh, way back before several name changes when it was still the lead center uh, in a tiny yellow building, a tiny yellow room um, in our Oglesby Union. Um, this Center for Leadership and Social Change was a campus-wide endeavor to transform lives through leadership education, identity development, and community engagement. Before Florida State, Laura worked with leadership, community, diversity, and experiential learning programs, student and academic affairs positions on the campuses of institutions such as Kansas State, University of Maryland, University of Missouri, and Stevens College. Uh, Dr. Osteen envisions a world where everyone is enabled and empowered to create positive, sustainable change. She's the co-author of Cultivating Leader Identity and Capacity in Students from Diverse Backgrounds, uh, the co-editor of Developing Student Leadership Capacity, and a member of the Leadership Identity Development Research Team. She received her Doctorate of Philosophy degree from the University of Maryland, a Master's degree from Colorado State, 
and her undergraduate degree from Indiana University. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, uh, Dr. O, as uh, I don't know if Tulane folks call you that, but that's how you were known at Florida State. Um, and it's taken me years to be able to refer to you as Laura, um, despite you know you telling me to do so. Um, thank you for being here today. Absolutely, it's an honor. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're talking a little bit about leadership. And so when I thought about leadership, um, of course, um, I immediately go back to some of the conversations that we had walking from the leadership center to class as uh, I had you, I had the opportunity to have you as a professor uh, in the leadership minor at Florida State. Um, and so I would love to hear sort of how you conceptualize and think about leadership. Yeah. So one of the pieces that for me, I hold on to centrally is that leadership is a problem solving experience. And the catch is that it's problems you can't solve by yourself. <laughs> that um, it, in its easiest definition, if you can do it by yourself, it's not leadership. It's not that it's not important. It could be really important. Uh, it's just not leadership. But leadership is how we evolve uh, human relationships, how we evolve humanity in our community and our structures um, that we have created that we need to uh, make better. And that we can only do that when together we come together to actually understand the problem in the first place. So how do we uh, bring people together? Um, so one of the things that I find in leadership is um, bringing people together to address a problem, as you said, who don't agree that there is a problem or that the problem is the same thing or how to address the problem. And how do you navigate uh, those complexities? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The, the very first thing that came to my mind, it's again, some of the challenges to language. Um, because so often we confuse leader um, and leadership. And so um, if we have a problem, then we look to a single person um, or it's their job to fix it um, versus our job. Um, and I think some of that's because of the challenges and the unhelpful use of the word leader um, that A, often gets conflated. We, we use leader and leadership uh, interchangeably or we believe that um, these roles are static versus completely dynamic in our lives. And so uh, when I think about how do we bring people together, the first thing we do is, is that we try and tease apart language of the individual leader and follower with language of the process of problem solving. And so then this process of problem solving can be, should be uh, um, our greatest work is to open that up to everyone so that people see themselves in it. Um, I think so often one of the challenges to pulling people together is that we've been pulled together too often to not actually have power. We, we, are, we are pulled together and then told what to do or pulled together and asked and then we just realize the decision's already been made. Or we, you know, but like we don't, we don't have this um, learned trust of group processes. Um, I even think, um, and now, like, um, I, I, Gavin, I've been so focused on just talking to you, like, like, hello, incredible, whoever else is watching. Um, but I think about in your work as graduate students and then as your work as undergraduates, the almost universal response to quote unquote group work, right? Like, like it's almost this like, oh, right? Which 
at its heart, I think that goes back to your question. I think that's what the problem is because leadership is group work. When done well, leadership is group work. And we have such bad experiences with group work, either because individual people do it by themselves and, and they ignore other people. Um, or, or we think about the, the works group that we're been a part of. Um, or what I think oftentimes happens is in group work, and, and now I'm just kind of giving some um, critique to our uh, work in the classroom, is a lot of times group work is too easy. So you actually don't need a group for the group work that's assigned. And so, uh, and so that's oftentimes why the group is so ineffectual because someone realizes I don't need the group to do this. I can do this on my own, which I think then gives group work a bad name, which then we associate with leadership, which is then often how leadership turns out. One person in authority just does it. So then if I circle all the way back to where I started from, distinguishing the problems that you can solve by yourself versus the problems that truly we have to understand by multiple perspectives in their room. And when we start to build communities of trust, that, that my opinion, not only do you really want to hear it, but it actually is valuable to our understanding of even what we're talking about, then I can start to build relationships and holding environments um, for this kind of work to happen. Um, but it does not happen uh, easily or overnight um, because we have learned systems of, uh, of both people in power just making decisions and or that group work is not actually going to be effective. Yeah. So I hear uh, uh, sort of a, a, a critique of the individualized nature um, and the disregard for the pulling in sort of multiple perspectives to better understand a problem. Um, as sort of uh, things that I, I, I really drew from what you're talking about, the difference between leader and leadership and, and engaging in that work of bringing together communities. Um, so yeah, I think that's uh, really important. Um, and I think a lot about sort of the times that I had to not only uh, be in groups, whether it was as a student, um, you know, I one time kicked someone out of a group project I was in because they didn't do anything. Um, and you know, whether or not that was the right thing to do or not, notwithstanding, but sort of feeds into this idea of like, oh my God, like we all, you, I don't need you, right? And yeah. so we all sort of can be complicit in that sort of uh, power uh, move uh, within groups. Um, cool. Um, what, um, are there particular models or frameworks of leadership uh, that guide your practice? Yes. Uh, and I'm always trying to extend and expand those models. Um, specifically, that because it is such a human issue, it is a interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, uh, we can learn from, from uh, across all um, both pedagogies and content of disciplines uh, can really inform this human experience. And so uh, one of the challenges in the work of leadership studies is, is to not just look at the discipline of leadership studies, but how, how are we looking across work that really can help us understand this um, experience and this change experience. And so um, I do have a go-to uh, around some of the work around adaptive leadership and adaptive work and so the, the language of evolutionary work. Um, 
Heifetz is most known for, but there are other writers in this work um, that um, uh, expand and extend the work around adaptation and adaptive uh, around evolutionary uh, forms of change. Um, as, as you know, uh, Margaret Wheatley is, is just a thought, um, the way her mind works and the way she has translated um, sciences and um, concepts around chaos and emergence and the natural world to understanding how humans uh, relate, I, I, I think is uh, brilliant and brings us back to our uh, really kind of, um, again, just, just watching nature. Like, like how much can we learn about how we create change by just being more observant of the world around us? Um, and then um, beyond that, um, there are um, lots of folks, but when I'm if on a go-to easy answer, those are the two frameworks that I, that I hold in my head uh, most specifically. So uh, neither of those are traditional um, uh, leadership frames that are taught in student mm -hmm. affairs. Um, at, at least they're not, um, uh, frames that I teach nor were taught um, in my uh, leadership classes or my theory classes. Um, do you have thoughts on that? Um, or why do you think those are, are less engaged with in graduate prep programs? So I think that it is um, often across any discipline we reach for our own experts to read from, teach, move forward. Um, and so it, it, it makes sense to me that, that uh, the folks who are doing the work that's bridging change and student development, uh, bridging um, higher education context with transformation, um, that, that that would be the literature that would most often show up in um, these programs. So I, I think some of that's the, the way um, these institutions are designed. I also then believe that it is much easier to teach the work of leader development than of leadership development. Mm -hmm. And so I, I strongly believe that so often we fall back on leader development uh, than on leadership. And so I would, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but if I was to um, get a list of all the books that are being used in uh, higher ed programs, I would, I would put money down. I, I would, I would uh, give up a chocolate chip cookie, uh, things that I care about the most that said, I bet the majority of them are leader development, not leadership development. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking about sort of, um, you know, last year, um, I don't know if I should say this because I don't want to anger the students, um, but last year we played board games to talk about uh, leadership. Uh, and obviously can't do that right now, um, but we played a, a game called Forbidden Islands. Uh, which is a cooperative uh, four or five versus one, and the one is the game. So it's four people trying to work together to defeat the game, the, the game presenting a problem of this island sinking, right? 
Um, and so like, I can't replicate, I don't know if I can replicate that in this sort of format. Um, but you know, that is, was how I attempted. And, and so um, what we read and talk about is sort of um, Colm and experiential learning um, as really essential to how I think about designing leadership experiences and reflection. Um, and then I, I'm, a, I'm still a huge fan of Bruce Tuckman um, uh, from my challenge course days. I think it's uh, uh, really easy and helps us to understand the process of group building. And then of course, uh, the social change model um, is sort of how I approach leadership. Um, and, uh, and I don't know if it's the right way or the best way. And I think, you know, I took an entire class on leadership uh, in my master's program um, that I didn't love. And I, and I, I was disappointed uh, when, I, when I made comparisons to the classes I was able to take in this undergrad. Um, but I think you're absolutely right, is that we often still are stuck in this mentality of the great man idea of a leader rather than it as a process, it is iterative, it is experiential, it is reflective. Um, so yeah, I think, um, I think you, you, you provided some really interesting context. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about how you think of leadership? Uh, and you talked about uh, the fluidity a little bit of leadership. Um, how does context play a role in leadership? It, uh, it is everything. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is absolutely everything. It is, um, it's the air the breathe, we breathe, it's the water we're in. It is, it is uh, to, to ignore context is, is to um, be your own downfall in, in truly creating uh, sustainable evolutionary outcomes. Um, while there are so many um, opportunities to bridge, to learn the, that um, this, this seems like what happened five years ago or I was somewhere else and I swear there's so many similarities that we need to learn from and become wise to and have a reflection. Um, but, but the nuance of how we show up um, in a new moment in time, um, you know, at some level it is, it is, uh, simply asking each other for the grace that we would hope we were given in any moment um, to want something new, to think about something differently, to um, have our own evolution. Like, context is realizing that we are all in evolutionary moments throughout our lives. And so to uh, assume sameness is, um, a disservice to ourselves and each other uh, in, in truly the opportunity to, to, to recreate and to design um, something new and innovative. Um, oh, I just used innovative, that kind of annoys me only because it's just it's kind of such a buzzword. But, but, the, but the, the idea of emergence, that, that, of, what, of letting um, opportunities and ideas emerge from the brilliance and the wisdom that is there in front of you versus um, assumptions of what it should be, could be, or has been in the past. Um, you, you, you talked about uh, disliking the term innovative because it's such a buzzword. Um, one of my struggles with uh, leadership is how often it is being pulled from business. Um, mm -hmm. And, 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 and it, the word innovative strikes me as coming from a business mindset. Mm -hmm. um, 
What are your thoughts on um, so much of higher education leadership uh, and leaders within higher education drawing from uh, sort of business literature on leadership studies? Like and when I look yeah. for things, yeah. so much is coming from a management text. And I remember being in class with you where there was a massive debate about the difference between leadership and management, right? Um, that I don't think was ever uh, put to rest, uh, <laughs> at least uh, when I was in your class. 15 or so years ago, right? Um, so what are your thoughts on sort of that intersection of higher ed and business and leadership? Yeah, well, um, I, I think you're gonna align and not be shocked where, where I go with the answer. And that's because we live in a capitalist country. And so, so because of um, the capitalistic framework, then business is seen as where change is most important because if, if business is the driving engine of um, capitalism, then, then our focus, our energy, our, our research, our writing is so then driven in that area um, that, um, that, that that alone isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just we have to then also raise and celebrate and learn from all the ways that evolutionary change and leadership have happened in families in communities, in neighborhoods, in activism, in, 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 in how changes often happened is outside of the business realm. Uh, that true revolutionary change in many ways is, has happened everywhere but business. And so, and so what if we use those disciplines to truly learn about this work? What do you hope that uh, students in student affairs prep programs take away uh, about leadership for their practice moving forward into their careers? That, I think it's a both and. It's a two things that, that for me um, <laughs> it's, it's really important. <laughs> it's shocking that I said that. Uh, that, that, yeah. uh, that one is that you've got to know more than just your higher ed leadership books. Like that, that, that you have got to do reading across other disciplines to truly understand the nature and process of change. Um, and um, whether that is from, you know, psychology has got unbelievable depth of, of research and writing to understand individual change and human change, right? <laughs> like um, to um, sociology and, and political science around systems and, um, and human change of uh, groups. And so anyway, you gotta go beyond just our particular disciplines work. And, and writing on this topic. But the second thing is to feel good about what you do know. That, that, um, that no, leadership is this significantly huge umbrella. Um, and so 16 years ago when I started at Florida State and the task to be the leadership center for the entire campus I quickly realized like, oh, hell to the no. Like, like I am not gonna tell the business dean that I'm the one who knows leadership, right? Like, like I could enter that conversation and say, this is the slice of leadership that I know. I, I'm not gonna try and tell you how to do your business management leadership classes, but how do we come together to and what we do share in outcomes and helping our students be prepared for their own next steps in lives and to thrive. And so, 
And so the fact that we do know the combination of human change and human development in the context of higher education, that's way cool. Like we should be really proud of that. And we should sit in that in ways that we can then contribute to campus culture, campus design, uh, courses, um, programs. Um, but to do that well is to also read beyond only our literature. Um, so it's, it's for me, it's the both end. Um, find the areas of this work that you want to go deep in and then feel confident in that knowledge and bring it forward, even though we can't all claim this huge umbrella of, of this work. Yeah. I think that's uh, a really, really, really good advice and really timely. I think 16 years, really? Because <laughs> um, I was there when you started and I was like, oh my God, it was, it doesn't seem like that long ago. Time surely flies. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, you know, your advice, I think, is I would argue more easily taken now than it was then, mm. uh, right? And so I think it is far easier now, at least in my estimation, maybe that's the, the, the reality of age. Um, but I, I, what I mean is just the ability to go out and find literature being far easier now than it was um, when we started at Florida State together, um, right? Or before that and, and so this proliferation we talked before recording sort of about um the um uh, literacy uh digital uh and information literacy and how important that is um but i think that blends into this conversation about knowing what uh information what literature about leadership jives with one's own ethics mm -hmm. um and i think um, the way that i teach theory is that we need to read rhizomatically um, and be able to take bits that uh, we can incorporate parts of multiple different lenses and theories and paradigms uh, within our own practice. And I think that relates to what you were talking about as well with the different perspectives of leaders and individuals in a leadership experience to be able to have multiple perspectives, um, I think is really powerful. Um, I think that's all I have. Uh, and so I thank you so very much uh, for your time um, uh, and wisdom that you shared uh, with me and with the students uh, today. Um, any last closing thoughts or things you wanted to address or talk about before we close out? I, um, I'm very grateful for the time. Thank you so much. Um, I wish all of you uh, unbelievable growth and learning and um, thriving. And if I could be any part of that, please know that I would be honored to. So just Osteen at Tulane. Um, I also would, would close with, it is our moral and ethical duty to do this work, that, that um, it might sound as cliche and cheesy as you could imagine, but it is what I truly believe. And that is that, um, that the world needs each of us, like that the, there's a problem out there that only you can solve with others. And so um, that opportunity that, um, to lean into this um, vulnerability um, of, of asserting um, who we are uh, to create uh, or to solve the problem that's in front of us. Um, we've got to do, we've, we've simply got to do it. Thank you so much, Dr. O. Have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll touch base. So thankful that uh, I was able to spend some time with Dr. Osteen or Dr. O. Um, 
um, and, and more importantly, share that conversation with you all. Um, Dr. O um, was my mentor uh, or one of my mentors as an undergraduate student. So I, I've been able to learn a ton about leadership uh, throughout my life and my career from her. Uh, and really fortunate that she was willing to uh, be here today with you all uh, virtually. So that way you might be able to learn something from her. Um, thanks uh, for everything. Um, and I look forward to seeing you in class on Monday night. Have a great night, everyone.